Hello. Hi. Hi. We're back. Back in, us. I would say better than ever, but probably not. Probably not. This is the We're Trying <laughs> podcast. We're trying to get through the opening. <laughs> Last week, thank you for letting us kind of have a chill week. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was an interesting it. week, but I'm glad that uh, we still re- turned out a pod. Yeah, I watched it and it was like really relaxing to watch. I watch all of our podcasts the day they come out, unless I work. I'm, I'm so glad because I do not. I edit them and go, done, done. Very fair. You have to listen to us talk like for a week. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. For those who are watching, you may see a Band-Aid on my left arm. What? That is because I got vaccinated today. Yay! I'm going to do on TikTok, I'm going to go through and like talk about my, like the process of getting vaccinated. So people who are iffy about getting vaccinated know what to expect. Yeah. Um, but basically I'm going to put that up today. So for those who don't watch my TikTok and are listening to this, um, I had to stay for 25 minutes instead of 15 because but five minutes after they gave me the vaccine, I started getting dizzy and nauseous. So I pressed the call button and like three nurses came in and I was like, I don't feel well. And they, I was sitting in like a chair and immediately they took it and like laid me flat. Oh God. And I was like, okay. It's a very comfortable chair though. Not going to lie. That's good. They gave That's me good. water and yeah, they were super good. My doctor who gave it to me. Awesome. I talked his ear off the whole time. I was so Good. nervous. Good. When I got my vaccine, because I got my vaccine last month, I think. Yeah. Um, I was so cranky going in. Here's a funny story. So um, my mom works at a high school and uh, the area that she was in, they were doing like a free clinic, vaccine clinic for people in the neighborhood and for uh, families of people at the school. So because of that, I was able to go. And because my mom works for the school, I was able to get an appointment because it was like a walk-in clinic type thing. So we got to completely surpass the line, which was really, really nice. So we get to the school and the line is like all wrapped around the entire school, all the way down the block. So we were like, oh, great, great. So we, you know, went up to the front because they didn't, it wasn't signed which side to be on. So we went up to the front and she was like, you have an appointment. And I was like, yes. And then she immediately looked at my boyfriend and went, great, what's your name? And he was like, oh, uh, my name is, enter name here. Um, I'm booked for this time. And she went, great. And what about her? (laughs) And I was like, well, considering I was the one who booked us, my name is this, I'm at this time. Um, And she looked at me and I looked back at him and kept asking him questions. And I was like, what? So I was in such a bad mood. I was like, don't you dare, don't you dare. I did all of the work. I was so upset. And then I went into the room and the nurse was so nice. And I was immediately like, hi, you're my new best friend because I'm in a bad mood. (laughs) And then I just kept joking with her because I was like, how do I alleviate my own tension? I'm going to joke with the nurse and make her laugh. I'm going to joke with the nurse. I was so mad. I didn't even tell my boyfriend that I was mad or like why I was mad because I was like, I don't want this to become a huge thing because it shouldn't be. But I was so mad. (laughs) That's very fair though. The doctor that I had, um, 
I'm so full of anxiety. So fun fact about me, I'm scared of needles. I have two tattoos. I'm scared of needles. Um, and I go, <laughs> go in and I'm sitting and I'm like shaking the entire time walking up. And to stop myself from shaking every single time I went past a little bottle of hand sanitizer, which was like every 12 feet, I would put some on my hand and then just like rub it in so my hands had something to do. And they call me down there, like to my room. They put me in my room and I'm sitting there and I'm like shaking like a freaking leaf. My doctor comes in and he's asking questions. <laughs> he said something and I went, yeah. He was like, what? And I was like, wait, what was the question? He was like, do you want it in your right arm or left? <laughs> I, was, I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm just really nervous. And I usually have like a friend or my mom with me and I don't have that. And like, I'm 22 years old. So, it, so I should be able to do this on my own, but I'm just like super nervous. He was like, okay, it's, do you want me to bring in like another nurse to just like kind of sit and like talk to you? And I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Just um, left arm. <laughs> it's like, are you okay? <laughs> That's it was funny. so funny. Oh, I remember when I got mine, the nurse was like, uh, what's your dominant arm? And I went, oh, right. And she went, okay, so do you want it in your non-dominant arm? And I went, absolutely. I'm a writer. <laughs> And she went, okay, non-dominant arm, got it. <laughs> I feel like I can't do anything with this arm because it's like sore because I was feeling ill after. Yeah. See, I did the stupid thing when I got my vaccine of having arm day the same day. So the next day I physically could not move my left arm. Um, so, so long as you're better than that, <laughs> you're good. <laughs> I haven't windmilled yet. Well, that's a shame. Yeah. Well, I was going to when I went out, but I feel like crap, so. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, it'll be windmill time. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. We got on to vaccine talk. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Today. This week, we are discussing Aurora's favorite thing in the entire world, I think. It's one of them. Mad Men. Mad Men. <laughs> I don't have a script prepared. I'm just going to talk. <laughs> yeah, I said last week I was going to watch some in preparation um, and then didn't because I worked all weekend and died. Yeah. The whole thing with my work is another story. We'll get so sidetracked if I go it's into just... that. Um, okay, a brief overview for those of you who don't know. Mad Men is a show that was on TV for seven seasons beginning in 2007, I be no, 2009, I believe. Oh my goodness. Um and it is about the Madison Avenue ad executives, marketing executives that uh, lived in New York in the 60s. Basically, that's like what it looks like from the outside. If you want like the brief, like what am I getting into? That's the best place to start. Is that what the show is really about? Questionable. Questionable. Period. <laughs> what do you know about Mad Men? Uh, Mona, your wife's name is Mona. You've never, That's heard, it. you've never heard somebody say, not great, Bob. Probably you. Probably me. You're right. But I just, it because last week we talked about this, Aurora's Snapchatting me, saying something in the video, and then goes, Mona, your wife's name is Mona, and then goes right back into the conversation <laughs> we're having, and I, I absolutely died. I died laughing. 
Another really great quote from that show that I sometimes will say to myself, but not to anybody else is, why don't you look like him? (laughs) So here's why I love Mad Men so much. We'll start here. Mad Men is one of those shows that from the outside looks like it's just going to be a show about ad executives. Like you go into it and you just think it's going to be about what it was like to be an ad executive in the 1960s. And to an extent, you're right. But to an even larger extent, you are very wrong. Mad Men is one of those shows that could take place at any point in time with any type of people, but to be told right, it had to take place with the ad execs in the 1960s. The characters are so universally flawed and so well-written that they feel like real people. And like, as I have grown as a writer, Mad Men has been one thing that I've always gone back to, to look at just because of how perfectly it is crafted. The characters, the story, the storylines, the dialogue, (laughs) it's so perfectly crafted because it leads you in to believe one thing is happening. And then the more you watch it, the more you realize it's not about ad executives. It's about people trying to be people. It is about, I was watching a video today that was like, it is about outsiders trying to be insiders. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know any of the characters' names aside from Mona? <laughs> I was just going to say Mona or Bob. <laughs> Bob, yeah. Um, okay. So the main, the main character, his name is Don Draper. I'm sure you've heard me Don talk about Draper. Don Draper. That sounds so... That's the character's name? Yeah. I did a TikTok where I talked about Don Draper. That's probably why it sounds familiar. Don Draper is the main character. He is a very well-established, well-thought-of writer for ads. He um, is like a vision. They they kind of refer to him as like the visionary of Sterling Cooper Price Draper ads. Um, In season one, it's Sterling Cooper, and then they get bought out, and then they all decide to fire themselves so they can start their own company and they become Sterling, Cooper, Draper, Price. It's so long. <laughs> um, but Don Draper is the main character. And what I love so much about Don's characterization is that Matthew Weiner, who is the creator of the show and one of the lead writers, slowly reveals to you who Don is as the series goes on. And the first episode is such a great example of that because throughout the first episode, you're following this ad executive and you see him, like the show starts with him sitting in a lounge and he turns to his waiter and goes, what kind of cigarettes do you smoke? And the guy tells him what kind of cigarette, I can't remember what kind of cigarettes. And Don says, oh, well, why that one? And he goes, oh, because that's what we smoked when I was in the war. And Don was like, oh, so you because you know you tie it to that, I could never convince you to switch to Lucky Strike, which is the big um, cigarette company they have. And the guy's like, well, no, probably not. Like, this is what I know. This is what I like. And that's kind of the end of the situation. And you see Dawn as like this, oh my God, my voice just cracked. But in that minute, you kind of see, okay, this man is a businessman. This man is literally out drinking in 1960 because that's what you did he's out drinking in 1960 and still working, you know, like you instantly get that. And then as the episode goes on, you're like, okay, he is high up in his company. He's good friends with 
a lot of his coworkers hates a lot of his coworkers. Pete. Um, and damn it, Pete. Damn it, Pete. Pete is the one who says, "Not great, Bob." Um, anyway, you know what? I'm Pete. <laughs> you do not want to be Pete. Never mind. I'm not Pete. I'm Don Draper. No, you're not. Hold on. I'm Mona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Mona either. Poor Mona. Anyway. I'm anyway. that one guy in the bar who smoked the cigarettes and was like, I'm not changing. <laughs> That's on hyperfixation. Anyway, so you see him, you know, he's well known at his job. He does well. He has his own office, which is kind of a big deal. Um, you see how he interacts with like the secretaries and everything, how they all are kind of like, oh, that's Dom, you know, he's a player. He's really good at his job. And then you see him like flirting with people and going on dates and he ends up at um, this girl named Midge's apartment. And you're kind of like, okay, he's dating this girl named Midge. They're sleeping together, whatever. He, you know, they kind of like each other, whatever. And you're like, you're led to believe, okay, he's an ad exec. He's, um, you know, doing his thing. He's flirting around, he's making money, he's drinking. And then the episode ends with him walking into his house and going to see his kids, tucking them into bed and his wife walking in and looking at him. And you're like, oh, he's leading a double life. And then as the show goes on, you realize he's leading a triple life, <laughs> which is just wild and crazy. But like the show slowly, slowly, slowly reveals all this to you. And then come season four, um, a new woman comes into his life and you sort of see so much of a different side of him. And you're like, okay, you can see he's changing and developing and maybe he's going to be able to reconcile these two sides of him, these three sides of himself. And then right at the end of season four, he flips it all over on its head and suddenly he's another person. And it's just watching this man who is an outsider, like I don't want to spoil too much, but he is not who he says he is at all. Seeing him trying so desperately to cling on to being a human being and reinventing himself and reinventing himself, but also hiding himself from everybody is so fascinating. It's so fascinating. And like, I'm so what... sorry if I seem out of it right now. <laughs> Just like. No, it's fine. But yeah, that's what Mad Men does really, really well is establish character, but still keep you guessing and still keep you discovering new things about the characters who like wrote it um it's created by a man named matthew weiner he also uh, created the sopranos which mm. is another fantastic show um but i prefer mad men <laughs> another thing the reason originally why i got into mad men is because of the women in the story um, there are three women in particular that are there kind of from the get-go that leave like a really, really important imprint on the story. And that's Betty, who is Don's first wife. Uh, there's Joan, who is by far my favorite character, and Peggy Olson. And each represents a different idea of being a woman at the time. And then each goes through these growths and changes. And you just seeing them develop from this is what a woman is in the 60s to this is what a woman is is just brilliant like applause to Matthew Weiner for creating and continuing to write believable women you know yeah that's great yeah. and we need more of that even now absolutely usually when men write women it's like yeah it's like really seriously so Dang. predictable yeah. I saw a TikTok the other day that was like, um, 
every girl in movie who's in movies who's good with cars and I watched it and I was like that that that's so true and you could tell it's written by a man yeah yeah and see that's one thing that I have always been aware of and I actively try to break down in my writing like as soon as you start talking about girls who know about cars I immediately went remember that scene in the love you make where Charlie turns to Hazel goes do you know anything about cars and she goes nope he goes great and they both just walk away yeah like seems like that are me actively like working against these stereotypes that we impart not only on female characters but also on male characters you know because you would think that like they're together you'd think that Charlie would know what to do yeah and instead he immediately looks at Hazel who nobody would think to know anything about cars and she doesn't but he's like great neither do I walk yeah yeah just walk to therapy yeah just walk to therapy (laughs) but like I I do think that they could have used pure willpower oh my god (laughs) my favorite thing ever but seems like that are direct to me, for me, and only really for me, direct references to Mad Men, because it's one of those scenes that, again, for me, I don't know how it, if it read this way, but for me, it was one of those scenes that was about, like literally just about changing a stereotype and developing character in a way that you didn't expect, you know? Because it's it's, it's literally three lines, but for me, it reveals so much of their relationship at that point. Oh, yeah. And that's why I like that those three lines were so important for me to keep, because they reveal so much about their relationship. In a similar vein to Mona, your wife's name is Mona, reveals the relationship between Don Draper and Roger Sterling, <laughs> you know, in a similar vein. Or in a similar vein to um, Don offering Peggy a drink in season one reveals so much about their relationship, you know? Wow, I've taken so much influence from a TV show, that's bad. (laughs) I think it's good though. It's good that you have something that makes you want to be a better writer. I usually, when I read, it's gonna sound terrible to me, when I read bad writing, I'm like, I want to do better than that. Absolutely. But when you, when you see something that's really good and for you, that's Mad Men, it's like, I want to be as good as that. Yeah. And I think you're actively working towards it. And that's great. I mean, I've never seen Mad Men. You have to, you have to, it's going to be, I think I said this last week, it is a hard one to get into at times because it can get very dry and move a little slowly. But once you get in there, it is so delectably juicy and so wonderful. And the characters are so brilliant. Ugh. And like also just like the costumes and the sets are crazy good. Crazy good. I'm obsessed with it. We love Mad Men. We love Mad Men. Okay, what should we talk about about Mad Men? Because I've given you the overview. I've told you the great stuff. What should we talk about? Okay, so there are a lot of video essays online breaking down the different characters. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that's another part of the show that is so wonderful is that there are so many people exploring these characters. Like I I watched one today on Roger Sterling. Roger Sterling is a uh, World War II vet who basically was a child of privilege. She was just handed a position at 
uh, Sterling Cooper because his dad was one of the co-founders. And like getting to watch different people talk about who Roger Sterling is, is so fascinating because not only do you get like different views into it, but you can consistently see how these writers have been able to shape these beautiful characters without shouting it to you, you know? Like watching uh, Roger Sterling deal with not being, an, uh, not being a young guy anymore and still feeling or trying to feel like he's a young guy and how his privileged life is starting to backfire on him is fascinating. It's never spelled out for you on the show. Like you'll get the occasional uh, moment of somebody being like, well, your dad handed you this or him being like, ah, oh, these young guys are not as great as we were or whatever. Or like, okay, slight spoiler, um, a really, really big moment for me that it was like, oh, this man is really messed up in the head was the Mona episode, that episode with that line, when he's trying to seduce these two twins who are 20 years old and he's like 50, trying to seduce these twins and has a heart attack in the middle of it. <laughs> but it's so funny at the same time because you're like of course sir you are an old man try to like get laid and yeah. <laughs> like up until that point it is established roger sterling has a wife named mona he has a daughter named margaret who is like i think 15 or 16 at that point in the show and they show up at work and they're like oh roger whatever 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 and his daughter doesn't really like him and his wife is like we're making things work and then immediately he turns to don he's like let's go flirt on these twins and don is like they are so young <laughs> like okay but also they are so young and i just don't really think we should but we are okay and literally he has this heart attack the girl comes running out of the room to find don and is like i don't know what's happening they call the ambulance they pull him out of the stretcher and he's muttering her name Mirabelle to himself and Don goes over and slaps him and says Mona your wife's name is Mona and it's just like not only is it an important uh, moment for Roger's character to sort of see who Roger is behind like the beautiful veneer of ad executive with a perfect life it's a great moment to see their relationship and how they view each other but also to see how Don is starting to shift towards viewing his family you know because it's like, oh, maybe him reminding Roger that he's married means something for Don, you know? Yeah, and especially like Don living like that triple life. It's like, yep. this this says a lot about your character and your values. Yeah, absolutely. But you're refusing to stick to them. Yep, yep. And that it adds like another layer to character. Yeah. I still can't get over, tries to seduce some twins and has a heart attack, jeez. Yeah. Oh, there are so many moments like that that are just hilarious. Like, the show is hilarious. But also has those really, really serious moments that make you, like, gasp and cry. And, like, there's an episode in season four or five. I'm not going to get into the details, obviously, of what happens. But the first time I watched the episode, like, the reveal of what happened, I screamed and started sobbing uncontrollably. It's hard, like that part is very hard to watch in general, but like comparing it to like funny moments, like like Roger, like, um, oh, like the party that they have in the office in season one, 
um, during the Nixon Kennedy presidential election, like that's funny, you know, they fill a um, water tank, you know, the, the ones that you find in offices that you fill like styrofoam cups with, they fill that up with absinthe at one point. It's really funny. And then they find um, one of the guys in the office has been doing some screenwriting and they find his script and a couple of them while very drunk get up and do a performance of his script. It's so funny. Like that stuff is so funny. And then you get to like this one episode in season four or five and you're just like uncontrollably sobbing because- I have an idea. Yes. So when we get to the point with the flare where we have like an office, mm-hmm. can we have a jug of absinthe in the office? We'll talk about it later. <laughs> <laughs> God, that episode is so funny. That episode is so sad, but it's so funny as well, just because like they're literally having this party. They're all drinking absinthe. They're like running and chasing each other around the office. And then they like end up spending the night at the office and Peggy comes in in the morning and is like, what the frig is wrong with all of you? Like, That does sound like something our friend group would do. Absolutely. We would go somewhere and just like dramatic readings of like scripts. Yes. And running around. I've actually never drank absinthe, fun fact. Neither have I. I see it all the time at the LCBO, but I, I don't trust myself. No, it's a, absinthe is a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. So I probably won't drink it, but like the way that you're like explaining it to me now, because I'm usually like, I like to stick to my comfort TV shows and my comfort movies and like my series. Those are my things that I stick mm-hmm. to. But the way you're explaining this is like, this seems very palatable for anyone. Absolutely. Like it's not something where it's only going to work for like a niche group of people where like you have to basically be interested in this to enjoy this. Yeah. I mean, I think there are definitely moments of that, but like I've been watching this show since I was like 12 or 13 years old. And like enjoying it, like obviously for different reasons when I was younger, but like it's a show that I've been watching for a long time, probably before I should have been watching it. Um, And every time I view it, there's something else to enjoy about it. Um, And yes, there are moments that are definitely more intended for certain people. Like, you know, when they go on their political rants, okay, those aren't necessarily going to be intended for like a 12 year old, you know? But like, there are the more- 12 year olds can't vote? 12 year olds can't vote? What are you talking about? Um, But there are moments as well. Like, um, I'm trying to think of one of the really, really funny moments and I am blinking. But there are some very, very funny moments that like at 12, I was like, that's hilarious. And it still is a serious show, you know? So even if you're not like a big history buff or you're not really big into- like um, character-led dramas or anything, there are still parts of it that can entertain and interest people. You know, it's a very well-rounded show. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, I had something in my brain and now it's gone. Maybe I shouldn't have filmed this right after getting my vaccine because I didn't know how I was going to react. And now I'm like, like my eyes feel puffy. You look tired, you do. I got like six hours of sleep last night, so. I got nearly 12. (laughs) I love that for you though, you deserve it. I woke up at quarter to nine and I was like, what, what? But 
I feel great now. <laughs> You've got lots of energy and you've had coffee today. And I have had coffee. Yeah. I rewarded myself with coffee for cleaning the whole apartment. <laughs> I told my roommate I'd clean more today because I cleaned most of the common areas in the house yesterday because mm-hmm. I was procrastinating cleaning my room. Um, but now I'm just like exhausted. Yeah. And you deserve to rest. I mean, we do have rehearsal this evening, but yeah. um, this evening. I'm really excited to like, after this conversation, I'm like, honestly, I might watch Mad Men later today. You should. I'll probably end up watching some Mad Men. Yeah. And maybe I'll give like updates. Okay. Here are my predictions on you watching Mad Men. My prediction is I'm going to get a Snapchat from you at the end of the first episode going, holy shit. That's my prediction. I also have a feeling that you, very similarly to me, are going to love Joan the most. You're going to hate Pete the most. Um, And then if you continue watching, I feel like you're going to come to really, really love and hate Peggy at the same time. Um, I feel like you are going to hate Betty at first. And then as the show progresses, go, oh no, I feel bad for Betty. And then I think, I feel like for you at the end of the show, you're going to sit back and go, Sally is my favorite character. And you're going to be right. You know, um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who any of these people are. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Sally, Sally is Don and Betty's daughter. She's played by Kiernan Shipka, actually, from The Chilling Adventures. Um, And she was like six when they started filming the show. I'm exaggerating, but she was very, very small when they started the show. Um, And she, um, her character is, she's a baby boomer, you know? She's our, I watched a video today that she was like, she is our grandparents. She is our parent, you know? And what I love about Sally and again, what this video was saying that I was watching earlier today from the YouTube channel, The Take, highly recommend. Um, they're talking about how when the show begins, she is this blank canvas because she's a child, you know, and a parent's job is to shape a child. But as the show progresses, you realize that these people, her parents, the people, the, the adults around her are not so interested in shaping her so much as they are interested in like being an image, you know? Like there's a really, really great example, again, that I got that from this video from watching it that they pointed out, where you can see um, how messy their style of parenting is. And I think it's Sally's first appearance. She runs into the room wearing a um, dry cleaning bag, like over her head wearing a dry cleaning bag. And you know, our parents would be like, oh my God, take that off your head. You're going to suffocate or whatever. And instead, Betty looks at her and goes, if I find the clothes that were in that all over the floor, you're going to be in big trouble. And it's like she is more concerned about herself and her own clothing than she's about her daughter. And watching uh, Sally progress through that is fascinating. I remember the first episode I remember watching of Mad Men came in like season five or six. I know I saw Mad Men before this, but this was like the first episode I remember. And Sally runs away in the episode. And I specifically remember sitting there with my mom watching like Betty freak out and turning to my mom and being like, why is she freaking out? Not because a parent shouldn't be freaking out that their child is missing, but I'm also sitting here going, why is Betty freaking out? Why, like Betty is putting on a, like Betty is putting on a show. And I was just like, 
you didn't care about your daughter until right now, you know? Oh, and I genuinely think you're gonna love Sally, especially in the later seasons as she gets older and goes off to school and stuff. Mm -hmm. Sally is also was also a big influence on uh, me writing and the younger characters and the love you make, i.e. Catherine. <laughs> You'll also notice the more you watch the show that I took a lot of names from Mad Men. Just when you said Price, I was like Henry. That one was not on purpose. There were a couple really? of them that were not on purpose and a couple that were. Um, <laughs> that one was not on purpose. Um, that character, oh my God, what's his name? I gotta Google it. This is gonna bug me. Um, that character, fascinating, fascinating character. What's his first name? Lane, his name is Lane Price. He shows up in season three. Oh, okay, yeah. The episode that I was talking about that made me sob, the plot involves Lane. And it, it happens at the end of season five. And it is terrifying and a little bit, a little terrifying, very upsetting. Anyway, his name is Lane Price. He's such a fascinating character. He is another exact, what was that? He's another ad executive from um, England. And he comes over to the US to work with them and ends up merging with them. And they create Sterling Cooper Draper Price. And his, his plot line is so fascinating because it is so much of an internal thing. So much of his struggle, you don't, like he doesn't show to anybody else. You don't really see so much in him interacting with other people. It is specifically like him sitting in his office, pulling out a picture of his wife and you look at his face and that's the end of the scene. And you instantly know he is not doing well being away from his family. He is not doing well being the only British person in an American office. Like you can tell just by looking at his face and he doesn't really let it on to anyone else. And he's just a fascinating, wonderfully juicy character. And I wish he was in more of the show, but oh, so good. So good. I'm excited to watch it. Another character I think you're going to really love. His name is Sal. Um, not to spoil anything, but it's really obvious from the minute you meet him the character is gay <laughs> um <laughs> it's very obvious in the minute you meet him but he's um which is like not to say like stereotypes or anything but you can just tell because of how the actor is holding himself and how he interacts with the other characters that you can just sort of tell that he's not <laughs> straight because he doesn't partake in the same like womanizing he you know he does have some of these stereotypical things where like he worries more about how he looks and he sort of can be a little sexy flirty with like everybody um but he isn't gay you know and there's one episode at the end of season one where he ends up going oh he's asked out by one of the girls in like um what are they called are they the telephone secretaries whatever they're called where they like switch the lines i can't remember oh, what yeah. they're called one of the girls who works there asks him um on a date because they're celebrating something and he's like yeah for sure i'll be there and he's like leading her on because he full well knows that she has a crush on him. And he's just like, I'm not interested, but I'm not gay, you know? And he ends up going out with this guy to a restaurant and the guy is trying to flirt with him and hook up with him. And he's like, what are you doing? What, don't touch me like that. What are you doing? And he's like, well, you're gay. And he's like, no, I'm not. And he storms out and you're like, sir, holy shit. You're like, because, he, but his whole thing is, it is very clear to an audience that he is not straight, you know, just because of how they present the character. 
but watching his internal struggle of being unable to admit it to himself because it is so unaccepted at the time is heartbreaking. But I genuinely think you're going to love that character because he is unashamed of being himself, except in those couple of instances. And how the actor portrays him is just beautifully heartbreaking in those moments, you know? Because like watching him, you're like, oh my God, he is denying this part of himself, but you can also see in him that he's like, I need like, I, this might be true, but I can't admit this. And it's just fascinating. He's only in it for, I think the first two and a half seasons, but just like really well done on the part point of the writers, but also really well done by the actor for being mm-hmm. able to portray all of that. Like he's just a wonderfully well-rounded character. They all are, but. I love kind of hearing about these characters and knowing that they lived in the same time frame of the love you make. Uh And I, as you're saying things, I'm connecting in my head to some season one stuff as well as some season two stuff. Absolutely. I'm just like, yeah, that that connects there. That connects there. And I, I love how this thing that you are obsessed with, you enjoy it so much how it's influenced your life and your writing and your work. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's similar to what you were saying earlier. Like when there's something that is so good and important to you, it becomes important to be as good and do it justice, you know? Like I have always kind of been the person known as the Mad Men fan. Um, And like Mad Men was my first kind of eye into the 60s and my first eye into what good writing is. Like I saw movies that are good before that, but this show is consistently good. Like consistently every episode is good. Consistently every storyline is good. Consistently all of the acting is really stellar. And it was kind of my first eye into that. So like for a lot of people, you know, they'll look back on like their childhood and be like, yeah, Shrek was the movie of my childhood. Or like people get nostalgic for like That's So Raven and Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I get nostalgic for Mad Men because it had such, it came into my life at such a pivotal moment in my development and growth and has had such an important imprint on me that it's become like my nostalgia show, you know? Like people will go watch Friends because it's nostalgic. I watch Mad Men, you know? which is so weird. (laughs) It's like what The Office and Friends is for some people, Mad Men is for you. Yeah, Mad Men and this is going to be like super weird, but another show that I get really nostalgic for is this 1970s comedy called Soap. It is a parody of 1970s soap operas. And it was also one of the very first shows to feature an openly gay character, which was great. Um, but then they, by the end of the show, they kind of ruined it by making him get with a woman and everyone was like, what the the hell? If you ever, okay, sorry, side note, if you ever see me do this, that is a soap reference. Okay, okay, now I know. Yeah, because in soap, one of the characters for part of the show thinks he can turn invisible by doing this. So if I'm ever doing this, I am invisible. (laughs) It's like how I get out of situations, you know, like some people will be like, okay, that was awkward, I'm leaving. I will do that. That's another show that I get nostalgic for. Um, If you ever, oh, another quote from that that I'll quote all the time is, Plato was gay. Oh no, sorry, it was Pluto was gay. Mickey's dog was gay. I quote that all the time. Um, 
Jagger was gay? <laughs> There's Summer. Anyway, that's another show that I get nostalgic for, but that's for different reasons. Um, but yeah, Mad Men is like my nostalgia show. It's such a like heavy show for nostalgia, but like um, one thing that I do want to talk about because before we like wrap things up is the ending of the show. Um, obviously, I'm not going to reveal everything, but the ending of the show is very famous at this point. Um, the season one finale is probably the most famous episode. It's called The Wheel. And it explores um, what family means to Dawn and it explores um, like those familial connections between the characters, which is really awesome. But I think the finale would be the other most famous episode um, because throughout the course, it's seven seasons that take place over the course of 10 years. So the show starts in 1960 and ends in 1970. Over that, the course of those 10 years, you see Dawn go through two marriages. Um, he has three children. You see him with about a dozen different women, uh, both while he's married and while he's divorced. You see him with all these women. And you see the people around him start making this shift towards a freer culture, you know, as the 60s go on, you know, counterculture, hippies, whatever. Um, you see Roger try and become younger and younger and adapt more younger styles. He grows a freaking like handlebar mustache in season seven. And you're like, Roger, you're like 60 at this point. Come on, man, settle down. Come on, um, Rog. Come on, Roger. Um, Roger is one that I purposely stole a name from. Um, I love Roger Sterling so much. Um, um, you see Peggy sort of develop from this quiet, naive. Peggy was a massive influence in the character Hazel, like massive, massive. Like you're going to watch Mad Men and you're going to go, oh, I see exactly what you mean. Because when you're first introduced to Peggy, she's this quiet, naive um, secretary who's a little outspoken um, because she doesn't quite know where she stands in the company. Um, and she's constantly being put in her place and everything. But slowly, 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 it's revealed she's really, really good as an ad writer. She's really good. And she ends up working her way up the ladder and adapting the rougher personality of the men that she works with. Oh, one of my favorite Peggy quotes, this is just like a well-known Peggy quote is, my name is Peggy Olson and I would like to smoke some marijuana. <laughs> and it's just like, like moments like I want that, that tattooed on my lower back. Right? Right. <laughs> It's moments like that where you sort of see her start to shift towards this hard as nails female ad writer. Like she has to be this way to make any progress in the industry. She has to. So from like a writing perspective, they have to give into that. They have to show her become troubled, you know, because she's in this troubling world that like women aren't supposed to be in, you know, so she kind of adapts this personality and you get to see that unfold and how that has an effect on her and her relationships, you know? And then you have Joan, who you see at the beginning, she's like this sexy um, image who has all these walls up and will not let people in and will constantly put people in their place. And she's thought of as a bitch by the men in the office. She's like the head secretary and runs everything. And they will constantly demean her behind her back and talk down to her. And literally one episode, one of them walks into Don's office and goes, she's a real bitch today, isn't she? And like, it's just a throwaway comment. But like, that's, that's what he says about Joan. And it's like, where is this coming from? Because she knows her place, because she knows what she needs to get done. Like she's a strong woman. 
And throughout the series, you see her get literally chopped down by the men in her life um, and then have to build herself back up again. And at the end of the show, she's in this spectacular situation. And it's just like, this is what Joan deserves. And Joan went for it and got it and didn't let these men tell her what she was worth, you know? So all these characters- I love Joan. All these characters go through these incredible um, journeys. Dawn's is so interesting and really sums up the show really, really well. Because as I said at the beginning of this, Dawn sort of has three plus personalities, stories, um, concepts of self at all points in time. And at the end of the show, he is in this terrible mental place. You know, his second marriage has fallen apart. That's kind of a spoiler, but also kind of not a spoiler because when you start watching the show, you're going to be like, well, duh. Um, <laughs> it's completely fallen apart. Um, his relationships with his family have completely fallen apart. Um, he, his, his work is kind of falling apart. Like there's a part of the show where he ends up being put on leave because he's so mentally messed up at that time. Like he's forced onto leave. Um, so he's just in this really, really bad place. And the show ends with him sitting on like a cliff meditating. And he has this image in his head of what would go on to become one of the most successful ads of all time, like a real ad that would go on to become one of the most successful ads of all time. I'll tell you what it is. You know, the Coke ad, I'd like to give the world a Coke. Da, 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 da. Yeah, he has the dream of that ad. And the show literally just ends with him like opening his eyes, having this image in his head. And it's just this fascinating like full circle moment where you see him go from like hard as nails ad exec who knows what he's doing and is like ruining his own life and his own family's life. And he's forced on this retreat, forced out of his comfort zone, forced out of everything and puts himself into a position that he would never put himself into and opens his eyes and realizes he's good at his job and he's messed everything up, but he still has hope, you know? Yeah. It's such, it's such a great well-rounded show. And out of every single show I've watched from beginning to end, I genuinely think it has the best ending ever because it doesn't fill in all the blanks for you at all. There's a lot that you can still leave up to the imagination, but it puts all of the characters in positions that feel right for them. And it gives you hope for the characters and hope for the future, them going into the 1970s, you know? You don't need to see any story past that. Which is an issue that I have with a lot of shows where they'll be like, oh, this show is popular, so we need to keep going. But after a point, you're like, I don't need to see any more of this story. This story is done. And you just keep dragging it out. Like shows like How I Met Your Mother, you can tell they ran out of things to do because the entire last season takes place over two weeks, you know? Yeah. And that's like, you're just stretching it out at this point. Just do a shortened season or just like figure, figure it out, you know? But because things are popular, sometimes they stretch them out too far. And Mad Men knew when to stop and knew how to stop well. Mm -hmm. So like, even if you get to a point in the series where you're like, man, this is just really heavy and I don't think I can do this anymore. You can always trust that the characters are going to get what they deserve. Yeah. It might not be exactly what you expect in that moment, but they will get what they deserve at the end of the day. Whether that be good or bad. Exactly, exactly. I think for the majority of the characters, it's good for a couple of them. It's not so great, um, but it is still absolutely what they deserve. And that's part of the, that's why I love Mad Men. It's just a 
perfectly crafted show. Perfectly. And I think, I think a lot of people our age look at Mad Men and assume it's for older people because it's, you know, technically a period piece and because it's about ad executives and it's not like explosions or in your plate, in your face um, comedy. But it's one of those shows that, as I said at the beginning, could take place at any time period with any group of people, but could only be done right as 1960s ad execs. Mic drop. Mic drop. So yeah, that's that's Mad Men. <laughs> I, I'm definitely going to watch some Mad Men today. Mm-hmm. And you should. <laughs> I want to see your Snapchats watching it because it's... Uh, it's a special show. What are we going to try this week? I'm going to try watching Mad Men. I am going to try... Well, I'm currently in the middle of a rewatch of the show, so I'm going to try watching more of it. But I think what I'm going to try is exploring character. Ooh. Exploring, like, character arc, et cetera, and, like, how that affects... Like, from a writing perspective, just, like, exploring character arc and how to make characters believable in weird situations, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening or watching. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. This has uh, been I, I, I barely spoke, but that's because I am, in fact, falling asleep right now. Because <laughs> I got... Got the Pfizer. Don't hit your arm. That hurt. <laughs> um. <laughs> this is chaos. Um, as per usual, if you want to leave us a message, uh, saying hi or telling us how much you hate Mad Men or love Mad Men, the link is in our Instagram bio at We're Trying Pod. All of our social links are in the description of this episode. And, uh, we will see you next week when we talk about, are we doing true crime part two or are we doing Starbucks? I don't know. We'll talk about <laughs> something next week. There'll be a podcast. What it'll be a no clue. Yeah. Also, just a little little announcement. Stay tuned because at the end of the summer, we're going to be uh, doing a live podcast. We are still working out all of the um, ideas and kinks and everything, uh, but there will be a live pod coming to you this uh, the end of the summer. Yay! (laughs) That's exciting. All right. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Do, 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 do. Meow, meow. <laughs>